Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 18. I'm your host, Otis Gyre. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing four stories for you about haunting hikes, devilish disabilities, local lore, and irresistible appetites. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program. If you'd like to show your support, and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. 
and thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show's about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of author Daniel Martins. In it, a man starts off with an insatiable love of hiking and nature, but after what transpires in the great outdoors during one fateful trip, he may never set foot in the woods again, and you probably won't want to either. Without further ado, I present to you Campfire. The drive-out took a few hours. As I pulled off the main highway and onto the branching road, I was struck with the sense that I was going to be very alone out here. I'm an avid hiker, but since many of my hiking trails I'd normally frequent had become almost crowded as of late, for this trip I settled on a trail I'd vaguely heard of, uh, but knew next to nothing about. It led upward towards some serious wild territory, with nothing around for hundreds of miles. The land was technically part of one of the nearby national parks, but was only barely mentioned on the park's website. I suspected this was because it was much further out than the regularly visited trails, only accessible from a branching road that pretty much led to nowhere. My plan was to head into the wilderness and camp out overnight under the stars. I live in a desert state. Nah, I won't tell you which one. And I figured there'd be some stunning views of the constellations in the cloudless sky at night, especially since it was forecast to be a moonless night. I'd already walked the popular day trails in the area, so I was looking into for something a bit further afield. The plan was to camp out under the stars and head back in the morning. The deserted road suggested I was right in thinking that nobody came out this far. Should be a good chance to relax and get away from it all. Eventually, I reached my destination and pulled off the asphalt of the road and into the gravel of the parking area, tires crunching as I slowed to a stop off to one side. Parking lot would have been too generous a title. It was really just an unsealed area next to the highway with a signpost announcing the entrance to National Park territory. The area was almost empty, only a single other car parked up. I got out and stretched, looked around, spotting the low sign that marked the trailhead. As I did, I took a second glance at the other parked car. It looked like it had been there for an age. All four tires were flat, although they didn't look to be punctured. Every surface was dusty. I looked back at my car, which was slightly coated from the drive-in, but this was well and truly caked on. There were no broken windows, and it didn't look like it had been stolen and dumped. It didn't look damaged at all. I must have been there a while, I thought to myself, wondering why no one from the park service had it towed by now. I made a mental note to call them when I got home. I opened the door to my back seat and got out my pack, hat, and rifle. I thought hard about whether to bring the rifle. It was extra weight, after all, and odds were I wouldn't need it, 
but the last time I'd been out hiking overnight, I'd had a far too close encounter with a coyote that left me wishing I had something more than rocks to protect myself with. I figured since it was only a small twenty-two caliber, it wouldn't be too heavy, and I'd packed it into a light soft case that fit alongside my pack. I reached into my pack for my sunscreen and slathered some on my arms and neck before turning off my phone. called my sister before I left town to let her know my plans, and stowing it and my keys away, shouldering my things and setting off up the trail. I'd gone no more than a couple hundred yards when I slowed to a stop, nose in the air. There was the slightest breeze, but it came with a hint of something behind it. I winched as the warm air hit my face, because the smell it wafted towards me was terrible. It smells like something died, I muttered to myself. The breeze died down, and the smell went with it. Ugh, I said, setting off again and picking up the pace. I couldn't see any buzzards around, but if there was something dead nearby, I didn't want to be anywhere near it if the wind kicked up again. The hike-in was uneventful. I won't bore you with all the details, but it was great terrain, clear and easy trail through the desert shrubland. Some hours in, I was breathing hard as I reached a slightly hillier part of the trail. came to the top of the rise and saw that the flat terrain out ahead was into a wide plateau. Looking at the sun, I saw it was mid-afternoon and decided this was as good a place as any to set up camp for the night. I walked another few minutes before stepping off the trail spotting a nice flat bit of land where the brush had been cleared away. There were the remnants of a campfire in the center, just a few bits of charcoal and some scorched ground. I nodded to myself, taking off my pack and rifle case and placing them on the ground near the old campfire. I spent over an hour bringing in firewood and another half hour breaking it all up into manageable pieces. There was plenty of ground... Lots of low, dead bushes and shrubs around the place. I wanted enough wood for the fire to last easily through the night. The sun was just starting to go down, and it was beginning to get a bit chilly. I stood back and looked at my wood pile. It was quite impressive, and probably way more than I'd actually need. Better safe than sorry. I shrugged to myself. The last rays of daylight were peeking over the horizon as I lit the fire, building it up until it was crackling away merrily. I ate a couple of power bars I'd packed as a cold dinner, swigged some water, and sat on the ground, looking up at the stars coming out, feeling very peaceful. That feeling didn't last very long. I heard the wind pick up before I felt it. It whistled between the rocks and shrubs, seeming to whirl around, passing me and then doubling back before arriving. It brought a warmth with it that was odd for the desert at night. That wasn't the only thing it brought, though. I sniffed as the breeze picked up the flames in my little campfire and screwed up my face. That stench I'd smelled earlier came with it, hot and rotten, like roadkill baking under the sun. I gagged and tried to hold my dinner down. The campfire flared up as the wind hit it, throwing sparks in the air. 
I watched as they floated into the sky, bright orange spots against the black, almost blending in with the stars. As they burned themselves out, the wind died down. The flames that had kicked up lessening as well. The stench had died back as well. It was still there in the background, but not being blown in my face anymore. Once the light from the flare-up had dimmed, everything seemed a lot darker. I looked around and shivered involuntarily, realizing just how dark it suddenly was. I looked up at the sky and wished I hadn't chosen a moonlit night for my hike, looked back towards the fire and then stopped dead. Something was wrong. I blinked hard and looked up at the sky again. The stars. The stars were gone. One second they'd been there, and then the next they just weren't anymore, as if the wind had blown them out like they were candles. There was nothing overhead, just a sudden blackness all around, seeming to press in against domes of light that my little campfire was throwing out. The hell? I exclaimed, looking about me. The air hadn't changed temperature. It was still cool, but not cold. But an icy sense of unease was settling over me. I shivered again and tossed a couple of branches on the fire, then drew my jacket closed and zipped it up. Where before I'd been able to faintly see the outline of the scattered shrubs and boulders by the faint starlight, now I couldn't see a thing. There was no horizon anymore. The suddenly black sky blended in completely with where I knew the mountains and the distance were, and I couldn't see anything in the darkness that was pressing in around me. I grabbed my pack and pulled out my phone, turning it on, and quickly navigating to the flashlight app. The phone's flash lit up and cast a harsh light on the ground, and then flickered and died, the phone turning itself off again. I pressed the power button again, but the screen stayed stubbornly black. Shit, I thought to myself, reaching back into my pack for my keys. I found the pen light on my key ring and turned that on, which also immediately flickered and turned off. I whacked it a couple of times to no avail before giving up in disgust and storing my keys and phone back in my pack. I looked around me, shivering with unease again. It was very dark. I couldn't see more than twenty feet on either side of the fire. It was almost as if the light was being forced back in on itself. I couldn't hear anything other than the crackle of the campfire. The whistling of the wind had stopped. That god-awful smell was still in the background, though, like there was something dead nearby, and what the hell was that? I heard a noise, like someone clearing their throat. A thick, wet, <laughs> My stomach dropped a breath catching in my throat for a second. I wasn't alone out here. Looking in the direction the noise had come from, I saw a small flash in the darkness and then another. A tingle ran up the back of my neck as I realized there was something out there, sitting just outside the reach of the light of the campfire, watching me. My sister has a little dog, and I remember staying with her once and it looking at me from a dark room down the hall while I was in the brightly lit lounge. 
I couldn't see it at all, but I knew it was there from the way the light bounced off its eyes. Dim, yellowy pinpricks in the darkness about a foot off the ground. What I saw was like that. Only instead of the eyes in the dark being knee-height like my sister's dog, these were six feet off the ground. Too tall to be a coyote or even a mountain lion, I thought to myself almost absently, trying to control the fear that was bubbling up inside me. Yeah, get out of here, I yelled, standing and waving my arms in the air. It didn't leave. Instead, the eyes came down a couple of feet like the thing had lowered its head. I slowly moved to put the campfire between me and it, and it moved in turn. I kept moving around the fire, and it kept moving too. I stopped and stared at it, and it stopped and stared right back. Something else was strange. My feet had crunched the gravel as I turned to face it, as it circled, but it made no sound at all as it moved. The darkness hid all but the barest outlines, and even that was fuzzy at best. Apart from what I assumed were eyes, all I could see was a slightly darker spot in the blackness. Crouching, I picked up a rock and chucked it in the direction of the eye flashes. The rock sailed through the air and I lost sight of it in the darkness, but I'd swear my aim was dead on. It didn't hit anything. I just heard a crunch as the rock fell to the gravel and tumbled away. The flashes in the darkness bobbed up and down slightly. Whatever it was, it wasn't afraid of me, and it seemed to be moving closer. Slowly, very slowly, I reached for the rifle case, unzipping it and taking out my little twenty-two. Pulled the bolt up and back and then forward and down again chambering around. As I did, the thing moved again, the eyes coming back and slightly lower, as if it was coiling back on itself, like a cat ready to pounce. I moved my thumb to disengage the safety, pulling the stock tightly to my shoulder and aiming for where I guessed the thing's center of mass would be. A bit more than a foot below the glint of the eyes where they were. Don't make me use this, I yelled at it again. Just go away. I heard a wet sound, like a growl from a dog crunching food in its mouth. Squeezed the trigger. Crack! The sound from my little rifle seemed deafeningly loud, splitting the quiet of the night like lightning splits the sky. I lowered it slightly, peering over the barrel towards the thing. It hadn't moved at all after curling back. It stayed right there, ready to pounce. But there was no way I'd missed it, not at this range. Work the bolt back, I frantically thought to myself. Get another round in. Re-aim, squeeze the trigger. Crack! Work the bolt, aim, squeeze the trigger. Crack! Again, crack! Again, crack! Again! Cluck! The hammer came down in an empty chamber. My ammunition was spent. I'd only packed a single five-round magazine, and I had nothing to reload with. I hadn't counted on needing any more than that. The thing shifted slightly, growling again as it moved. The flash from its eyes and the firelight disappeared, and I lost sight of its outline. 
I load my rifle, shaking hands, switching my grip to clutch the still warm barrel like a club, ready to swing the stock into whatever that thing was. Thump! Something solid hit me in the back, and I screamed as I spun on the spot, swinging the rifle like a bat. It whooshed through the air, hitting nothing. I took a step back, breathing hard, as I saw that familiar glint in the dark, just beyond the border of where the light from the fire showed. It had gotten behind me in seconds, and I hadn't heard it move at all. But what had hit me? If it hadn't come into the light, I looked down, and lying at my feet was a single hiking boot. I glanced back up toward the thing. It hadn't moved. It was just there, watching me. I looked back at the boot, which wasn't in the best shape. The fabric was torn, and it was caked in reddish-brown mud. Hang on, I thought, stooping to pick it up. I shifted it closer to the fire for a closer look. Blood. The boat was caked in dried blood. My head swam, and a fire tore through my nerves, the back of my neck prickling madly and my skin turning to goose flesh. I found myself on one knee, breathing heavily as I mumbled, Oh, shit, oh, shit. I looked back up toward a thing which still hadn't moved and screamed at it. What do you want with me? It didn't answer. I dropped the boot. I jumped as there was a small pop from one of the branches in the fire, but was suddenly struck by an idea. I moved closer to the fire and spotted a branch that only had one end of light. I pulled it from the blaze and turned to face the thing. It growled again as I held up the branch, which rose to more of a snarl as I threw it towards it. The blazing stick lit up the night as it tumbled through the air toward the thing, and a horrified thrill ran up my spine as I caught a better glimpse of the outline of it, just for a second before it scuttled away from the light. It was huge, big as a bear but without any of the mass, lean as opposed to bulky. It was dark, so dark that it seemed to flow and blend into the gloom behind it. It had four long legs attached to an almost stumpy torso, but it hadn't used all four when it moved. It used the front one's arms to push itself upright onto the back legs and danced madly away on those while its whole body and arms jerked from side to side. God, it was so tall maybe eight feet high when moving on its back legs, and it never seemed to get fully upright. The things that glinted in the firelight did seem to be its eyes, and the split-second glimpse of its face I caught was enough to make me take a step back in horror. It looked almost human. Human, but deathly wrong. Like if you took a person's face and stretched it forward so it was long, like a horse's head. The mouth, though, it wasn't small like a horse's. It stretched all the way back to where the face met the rest of the skull. The mouth was stuffed full of far too many rotten teeth, stained red in places. 
I think my legs gave way then. I found myself sitting on the ground, hugging my knees and rocking back and forth. What in the hell was that thing and what did it want with me? The blood-stained boot didn't exactly fill me with hope that it was friendly. I used a shaking hand to grab some more sticks out of my woodpile and feed the campfire. Whatever that thing was, it hadn't come into the light, and it had moved away when the fire came near it. It gave a silent thanks to whatever urge had made me drag in as much wood as I had. The eyes had stopped moving again, and it seemed the thing was content for the time being to just sit in the dark and stare at me. I stared right back, trying to think of what the hell I was going to do, and we stayed like that for a while, looking at each other. Somewhere, not too far away, a coyote howled. The eyes turned and bobbed up and down slightly in the direction of the howl. Was it sniffing the air? It turned back to face me, and it grunted. Whatever the noise was, it sounded dissatisfied somehow. The thing turned away again, and I saw the barest smudge of an outline moving off into the dark toward the howls. Within seconds, it was gone from sight, and as it faded from view, so did its stench. I sat there, frozen for a moment, and burst upwards, boots scrambling for grip on the loose gravel as I came to my feet. I frantically grabbed at my pack and swung it onto one shoulder, stooped to pick up my rifle and swung that by its strap onto the other shoulder, and then hesitated, torn by indecision. Dare I risk it? I clenched my jaw and tried to swallow down on the rising sense of fear. I picked up one foot and took a single step away from the fire, wincing as the gravel crunched underfoot, which seemed deafeningly loud in the silence that was broken only otherwise by the fire. I peered around, muscles tensing with anticipation, but saw no sign of the thing. I took another step, the gravel crunched again. Still no sign of it. I relaxed ever so slightly, took a deep breath, and started briskly walking towards the trail. Once I hit it, I could turn right, and I was confident enough I could follow it back to the parking lot, even in the dark. I'd taken no more than a half-dozen hurried steps when I stopped dead, frozen in place. I could smell it again, the reek bringing the bile up in my throat, Heart racing, I turned my head slightly to the left and saw that glint in the dark. The light from the fire had dimmed as I moved away from it, but it was still just close enough for me to see that familiar reflection of the flames in its eyes again. A rumble came out of the darkness, a growl. I slid my front foot backward, slowly moving back toward the fire, never taking my eyes off where it seemed to be in the dark. I reached the fireside and slid my pack and rifle off my shoulders, laying them on the ground and sitting down next to them. As I did, I heard the coyote howl again. The thing seemed to grunt, and then it faded into the darkness as it turned away from me. What the hell was I going to do? It was like the thing was playing with me. But I wasn't going to risk making a run for it again. No way did I want it to catch me in the dark. The darkness had seemed to kill my phone and flashlight when it settled in, 
and anything to fire I took would burn out well before I made it back to my car. I still had my lighter, but there was no way that that would make enough of a difference to keep it awake. The coyote began to howl once more, but the howl cut off quickly, turning into a snarl. I listened closely as the snarls became pained and then desperate yelps and held my breath as they cut off, replaced by the sounds of something snapping, crunching, and splattering. I breathed deeply, listening as I tried to slow my hammering heart down. Nothing. Once again, all I could hear was the crackling of the fire. I shut my eyes, listening harder, and shrieked as something hit the ground next to me, scrabbling backwards on my butt, away from it, waiting for it to leap up and grab me. I'd gotten a few yards away when I stopped scrabbling and just sat there hyperventilating, staring at the ruined pile of gray fur and red gore that lay in front of me. It was the coyote, or what was left of the coyote. It was a mess. It looked like every bone in its body had been pulverized, and its front legs were completely missing, but raggedly missing like they were torn away rather than cleanly cut or bitten off. Worst of all, its head was facing the wrong way, twisted around until it was entirely backwards. Blood seeped from the open mouth, collecting into drops that each hit the dusty gravel with a soft splat. I shuddered, and hugged my knees tight, rocking back and forth slightly. This must have been the coyote I heard howl earlier. The one the other thing went after. Oh, shit. I stood. Where was it now? I circled on the spot, looking out into the dark. There, on the other side of the fire, just beyond the border where the light ended. That familiar, reflective, yellow, doubled flash was still watching me. Fuck you! I screamed at it. I strode to the dead coyote, grabbed it by its still warm tail, and swung it around, casting it away from the fire toward the thing. It flumped to the ground, not too far away from where the light ended. The thing didn't move. I fought to get my breathing under control, kicking dust over the small patch of blood that had pooled where the coyote lay. I looked at my hands, and they were sticky with blood, too. I grabbed my water and rinsed the worst of it off, wiping my hands on my pants to dry them. I heard a grunt and turned to see one long, impossibly thin limb reaching in from the shadow to grab the dead coyote by the tail, slowly dragging it out of the light. It was hard to see any detail, it was almost as if it was radiating the darkness out from itself. But I could see that it seemed to end in a hand that looked again human, but wrong. The fingers were way too long, and they were jointed in too many places. It looked like someone reaching out with a collection of tarantula legs on the end of a stick. It made a pain sort of sound while it was doing it. Maybe the light hurt it. The coyote disappeared from view, leaving bloody 
drag marks in the dust, and I heard horrific ripping and squelching sounds. I guess the thing was tearing it apart and eating it. The eating noises eventually stopped, and the thing grunted, but it sounded unsatisfied somehow. It went back to staring at me. Whatever this thing was, it wanted me, not just the coyote. I picked up some more branches and built up the fire, then sat down and stared at the reflective eyes in the dark. I don't know how long I sat like that for. It must have been hours. I built up the fire a couple more times and went back to staring at the thing. It'd grunt or growl every now and again, but then it shut up. For the time being, it seemed satisfied to just sit and stare. Eventually, I found my blinks getting longer. Each time, it was harder to open my eyes again. God, I was so tired. The adrenaline spike had long since worn off, and I felt wiped out. Just a second. I just closed my eyes for a second, I thought to myself, as my head began to nod forward. I jerked, bolt upright and wide awake, at the thrill that ran up my spine as I heard a wet, throaty <laughs> from behind me. I'd fallen asleep. The fire had burned down low and was mostly just embers, only emitting a faint glow, just enough for me to see that the thing had crept much closer as the light had diminished. I must have dozed off for an hour or more. Leaping to my feet, I grabbed some branches from the pile and hurled them onto the remnants of the fire and then fell to my hands and knees so I could frantically blow into the embers, desperately trying to stir them back into life. The light flared up as they caught a light, and I saw it sitting there, way too close, squatted on its hunches like a dog sitting, long back legs folded up, so what I assumed were knees were up by the shape of its head, and arms extended down to the ground in front of it, holding its torso upright. The light glinted from its eyes as it shifted its head to stare at me again, and it hissed as it pushed itself backwards, retreating from the light. As I lost sight of it in the darkness, I heard that wet sound again, like a long tongue smacking against lips. I shuddered. I'd gotten a better look at its eyes in the light this time. They were filled with hunger and pain, but there was an intelligence there. Human eyes, not entirely those of an animal. It went back to looking at me, only this time it wasn't silent. It kept howling and grunting, and the noises it was making grew in volume and frequency. It almost sounded desperate. It circled the fire, eyes disappearing from view, and then reappearing elsewhere where it had growled from the dark. But it never came back into the firelight. I didn't say anything. I just fed the fire and hoped that my stock of firewood would hold out a little longer. I brought a lot in, but it was diminishing by this point. Then finally, the thing made a noise I hadn't heard yet. A hiss higher in pitch than anything else it had made, and it looked up at the sky before staring at me once more. It made a disgusted sort of noise and then turned away. I heard the wind kick up, and I could smell the thing's stench again, then all of a sudden it was just gone. 
As the thing went, the smell and the suffocating darkness went with it, and I realized I could see clearly around me again. The sky had that deep, dark blue color you see before sunrise, and I could see a few pinpricks of light that could only have been stars. It got progressively lighter and lighter until there, the sun peeked up over the horizon, and I had never been as happy to see the light of day as I was now. I waited another hour and a half until the sun was well in the sky, and things were starting to heat up before I dared to make a move. I picked up my things and got the hell out of there, shuddering as I passed the remnants of the coyote, just a bloody patch of gray fur and shattered bones. I jogged the whole time, never pausing, never stopping, and never looking behind me. Every time I slowed, I heard the wind whistle again, and I'd catch a whiff of something foul, so I'd pick up the pace again. Hours later, I was just about ready to drop when, there, at the start of the trail, I could see down to the car park. Without stopping my jog, I reached back and pulled my backpack off, holding it in one hand and awkwardly cradling the gun case in my other as I scrabbled in the pack for my car keys. I almost tripped as the hard trail gave way to the gravel of the car park, but managed to keep my footing as I scrabbled toward the car. I fumbled with the keys for what seemed an age before throwing open the door, tossing my things across, and slinging myself into the driver's seat both hands gripping the wheel with a white-knuckle grip. I looked at myself in the rearview mirror. I was taken aback at the haggard, wild-eyed figure that stared back at me. There were rivers of clear skin and the dust caking my face. I realized I'd been sobbing with relief since I had been able to see the end of the trail. I looked back out at where the trail started, saw the dust from the path swirl as the wind picked up once more. I hurriedly rammed the keys into the ignition. I gunned the engine, throwing the car into gear, pulling around quickly and peeling out onto the road. As I sped back toward the city, it wasn't until I hit the main highway before my heart stopped pounding and my breathing slowed to normal levels. A few hours later, less time than it took to drive there, I was not doing the speed limit. I was home, with my doors locked and the sunlight streaming in through the windows. My phone turned on after I plugged it in. Now you work. So I messaged my sister so she wouldn't call search and rescue. A day or so later, I called the park service and told them that I'd been stalked by some mountain lions on the trail and they removed the area from the information section of their website. Nobody really went there anyway, they said. I didn't mention the abandoned car or the bloody boot and didn't tell anyone what had really happened. And after all, who would have believed me if I did? There's no point in sending anyone else into danger. Later, I started reading up on some local folklore, but stopped pretty quickly. I came across something that made me start to shake at the description of it. I'm fairly sure I know what the thing was, but I decided I wouldn't look any more into it, and I just tried to put it out of my head. It hasn't really worked. My breath catches in my throat 
Every time I go into a dark room when I fumble around for a light switch, I don't hike much anymore. If I do go hiking, then it's strictly along well-used trails, and I never, ever do an overnighter. I had work transfer me to a branch long, long ways away from the desert. I couldn't deal with feeling a hot wind anymore. I'm somewhere where it snows now. My encounter left me with a lot of unanswered questions. But one question ranks above all the rest. And it's something I'm not really sure I want to know the answer to. If that thing I read about is real, then what else is real? And hiding out there in the dark. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I hope you enjoyed Campfire by Daniels Martins, as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got a second story for you. This one from author Edwin Crow about a disabled youngster with a unique ability to see things others can't, despite the fact that he's blind. But will this extrasensory abilities uh, prove to be a blessing or a curse? Without further ado, I present to you, my father punished me when I talked to ghosts. I've been blind since birth. As I grew up, Everything was described to me in such vivid detail that I didn't even realize why it was that important to see, especially having no reference point to compare it. 
We lived in a single-floor ranch house. That's what my father told me. Uh, in my mind, of course, I could see, although unlike how a sighted person could, I had spatial awareness. I knew where my bedroom was, where the bathroom, living room, and kitchen were. Each wall had its own texture. I don't know if that was done on purpose or if I could feel things others never noticed. I rarely fell over. Only a father or one of the visitors put something somewhere they shouldn't have. It was usually the visitors, and father would shout. They visited infrequently, and only briefly when they did. Father said I shouldn't speak to them, that it unsettled them. He'd worry when I saw something he didn't, saw it with my ears or by touch. Ellie was the first. She seemed very sweet. She asked me my name and why my face was so messed up. She was in the living room. I could hear where she sat from her breaths, harsh nasal sounds as if her nose was blocked. When father had a cold, he'd always breathe through his mouth, big labored breaths, as he wasn't used to it. When people mentioned my face, I always touched it, trying to work out why it was so strange to them. When I asked if I could touch theirs, there was always a pause. I guess sighted people never did that. Why would they need to? When I asked Ellie if I could touch her face, she reluctantly agreed. But moments later, Father entered the room and asked me who I was speaking to. I told him nobody. He would always punish me when I spoke about them. I think it scared them. He'd take my arm and march me off. I'd be knocked off balance and disoriented, to the point where, when he finally set me down, my hands would frantically search my surroundings until I knew where I was. It was usually my bedroom, though every now and then he'd leave me outside in the middle of nowhere. That was the worst. I would be lost and scared. He told me about the road that ran in front of the house and explained that the sounds I heard were cars and they'd kill me if they touched me. Those sounds were my only means of recognizing my surroundings. I waited until I heard one, then knew which way to run back to the house. I heard Ellie that evening. She whispered to me, saying she was scared. I whispered back, but she didn't hear. I asked Father about Ellie. He didn't want to talk about her. I asked him why. He didn't reply. When I told him that she'd asked about my face, he asked me how I responded. I told him I wanted to touch hers. He laughed, though I knew he wasn't happy. I could hear the difference. When you laugh for pleasure, your mouth is wide open. When you pretend, your mouth is almost closed. To me, the difference is obvious. It wasn't until I was older that he explained... He said we lived in a special place connected to the other world, that sometimes dead people slip through, people who died in pain and want to reach the living. He explained that because I couldn't see, I was able to tune into that, that they knew I was listening when others weren't. He said I had to ignore it. Otherwise, he told me, they'd latch on and never leave me. All the dead want is to be alive again, he said. It was dangerous, and they would trick me. 
He said he knew how to deal with them, but he couldn't help if they became attached to me. Alex appeared to me a few years later. She told me she was lost and didn't know where she was. I told her I wasn't allowed to speak to her. Still, she pleaded for my help. I kept quiet, knowing what would happen if I said anything. Did you speak to them? Father asked. Though I was upset, I told him no. I wished I could help her. I knew what it was like to be lost, and it scared me. Alex didn't whisper to me at all. I'd ignored her, and she ignored me. Father saved me, and I was thankful. After Alex, I knew what I needed to do, so I did it. The spirits stopped bothering me after that for a very long time. That was until Sarah appeared. Sarah didn't give me a chance to be quiet. I was on my own, sitting in the living room and listening to the television. Help! she said. I need to find a way out. I stayed silent. You can hear me, can't you? she asked, surprised. I'm not allowed to speak to you, I told her. Please, she begged. I'm scared. I'm lost. I want to see my daddy. I gripped the arms of the chair and told her I wasn't allowed. He's dead, she said. I didn't answer. Your father is dead she said again. I wasn't going to fall for it. I heard banging from around the room as things began to fly and the shells began to shake. Stop it, I shouted, and it did. Please, help me leave, she said. I wasn't going to talk to her. I did the only thing I thought would help. I unlocked the front door, hoping she'd run out and get lost, just like I would do. When I heard from her no more, I locked the door and sat back down. I listened intently for any sign she was still there. Except for the sounds of the TV, it was silent. I hated when my heart raced. I became all too aware of the tick-tock feeling of the rise and fall within my chest, like it was about to explode. When I heard my father's voice, I screamed. Son, he said, I need your help. I think I'm dying. I did what he told me to do. I didn't speak. If he did die, he'd never leave me. Instead, I raced out into the open air and shouted for help. I shouted until my voice was hoarse, and I heard the sound of cars racing along the road in front of my house. I shouted until I heard someone respond. It was a woman. What's wrong? they asked. I told them I think my father was dying. They asked what happened to my face. I pleaded with them to help me, and they promised they would. I sat down on the grass and waited. Sometime later, the woman returned to me and asked if she could hold my hand. I'm so sorry, she told me. I heard the sounds of sirens and of people rushing. I asked what was going on. The woman said she was there for me. As the noise died down, a man asked me a question. I'm a paramedic, he said. What happened to your face? I told him I was fine. He asked if I was sure, and I told him I was. He asked if I minded him touching my face. I said it was okay. A moment later, I felt pressure release from around my forehead, 
and the air felt cold against my skin. It sounded like as if he were peeling an orange. I imagined it in my head and worried he'd expose my insides. I screamed and asked what he was doing. He told me everything was going to be okay, and the woman squeezed my hand, telling me to be brave. I didn't know what it was I was experiencing. I felt a tight pain within my head, like when you smash your shin against something hard, followed by something I've come to understand as bright. It hurts so much. I began to cry. What happened to your eyes? the paramedic asked. I said I was blind. He asked to check them. The pain returned when he examined them. Do you know him? The man asked the woman who had helped me. She told him that I had been screaming for help and that she had come to my aid, but that she had never met me before. How long have you had your eye injury? He asked me. I told him I'd been blind from birth. He asked me if I could see his fingers. I told him no. He asked me if I could open my eyes. I said I didn't know what he meant. He asked if he could open them for me. I didn't. Then I felt his fingers on my face. Fingers covered in something rubbery. Suddenly it became bright again. I screamed. He tried to calm me. The woman squeezed my hand again. I didn't know what was happening. Things I couldn't describe came to me. It was like it always was, but multiple one hundredfold and so much more real. I carried on screaming as a fuzzy form came into view. Just breathe, okay? The paramedic said, everything will be fine. When was the last time you saw? As my heart began to calm and my breathing slowed, I became distracted by what I was experiencing. It overwhelmed me. I wanted to cry, and I did. How long has it been? He asked again. I've never seen anything before, I told him. I was told to keep an eye mask on for most of the day, only taking it off at night at first to allow my eyes to adjust. At the same time, I was placed in the custody of my aunt and uncle, who didn't even know it at first. They were shocked at what happened to me, and that I'd never attended school. The past few years have been a roller coaster ride. The doctors said I may never have perfect vision, though what little I have is a godsend, and I'll take what I can get. I've only recently been learning to read and write, so I apologize if my English isn't the greatest. It's the best I can do. I've been asking my aunt what happened to my father, but all she says is that he died of a heart attack. I asked what sort of man he was. She says he was her brother, and she'll love him no matter what. My uncle doesn't want to talk about him at all. I've been using the computer a lot recently and really enjoying the Internet. I can't believe such things exist. After being so lonely for so long, I can talk to whoever I want, when I want, though I'm wary of that. After all, how do I know if who I'm speaking to is alive? No one seems to share my father's concerns about that. Today I was on a forum discussing the spirit world. 
I was so happy to find people who I could relate to. And someone curious about my username sent me a link to an article on a true crime website. It was about my father and mentioned me by name. They asked me who I was and if I was the same person. According to the article, my mother had gone missing soon after my birth. It said I'd been bound so that I couldn't see that my father always wanted a daughter. They found 14 bodies in the basement. They said one got away, a girl by the name of Sarah Frank. She was the one to call the police. They found father's car parked around the back of the house. They supposed he carried his victims into the basement via the storm entrance and left them there. Sarah had managed to get away after she agreed to be his daughter following four days of sustained torture. She stabbed him with a knife he placed on the counter to butter some toast. I didn't want to believe it, and I'm not sure I would have if it weren't for the names of the victims, two of which stuck out, Ellie Farmer and Alex Riddle. I'd spoken to them both in the living room. To this day, I wonder if my father had been honest with me about a single thing in his life. Throughout it all, one question remains above all others. Did I speak to Ellie and Alex before or after he killed them? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I hope you enjoyed My Father Punished Me When I Talked to Ghosts by author Edwin Crow, as performed by yours truly. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me tonight for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would, would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase a season's pass for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive 
dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Until next week, stay spooky. Get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jivey channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.